So, have you been to see Endgame? Yeah, I have, yeah. Oh. I know. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. What did you think? Did you like it? Yeah, I loved it. I loved it, yeah. I, especially the appear- the strange and sudden appearance of Batman in it. No one saw that coming. That, oh, hang on. We're going to have to hold because my daughter is bringing me uh, a fish finger sandwich. Oh, well, thanks. Thank That's very, very professional of her. Which daughter? Madeline. <laughs> Can you take the dog out as well? <laughs> Thank you for your professionalism, as always. I'm going to eat this now as well throughout it. Really? Is that what you're going yeah. to do? Yeah. What's better than a fish finger sandwich? Well... Mm. Mm. Carry on without me. Thanks. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 67 of the Midfaith podcast. My name is Joe Davis and there with his mouth full of fish finger sandwich, <laughs> not that far away really, is Nick Page. Hello Nick. Hello. I can't believe you're scoffing. This is meant to be professional. All right, you're not supposed to share this kind of thing, are you? But I fast, and this was a fast day, and I'm starving. <laughs> so it's a fairly unsuccessful fast day. No, it's I do it in the old early um, church way, which was to fast from uh, sunset to sunset. Uh, you know, well, I can't quite do that, but... Excuse me if I don't look at you. Your halo is blinding me. No, I'm. See, this is. I knew. There's no way around this, is there? I can't keep you it secret. You podcast on an empty stomach. Tell me about how you are and I, all that stuff, and I'm, what films you've been to see while I eat this. Well, I went to see uh, Red Joan, which was excellent. I I went to see Captain Marvel, which was. Mm. Mm-hmm. Captain Marvel's just too powerful. That's my thought. It's just like. Can do anything. Anyway, that's my thought. Anyway, absolutely, couldn't agree more. Um, and then I went to see Wild Rose, which was excellent. And then last night we went to see Endgame. I'm not going to say anything because people may not have seen it yet. But it was good. I loved Endgame, and without I'm not going to give any plot points away. But I think um, for me, as a I've talked about this in the past, as someone who grew up reading comics, yeah. whose imaginative world was uh, was formed sure, by yeah. the plots of comics. Yeah. Um, what I absolutely loved was the respect for the medium. You know, I think yeah. that's the key thing. That yeah. this was this was a series of films. All these films, really, whatever, and some of them have been good, and some of them have been a bit bit meh. You know, yeah. um, I agree with you. I think about Captain Marvel, but I think the truth of it is the Marvel universe, as such, was created by people who love comics, yeah, and that sure. sort of came through. And and so I think there was that extra resonance for me, yeah. um, because this was partly, you know, characters from my yeah childhood on, yeah. on screen and it was important that they were treated with justice so that was great i i, I loved it that yeah great. okay yeah and now might be a good time to say a massive thank you how encouraged are we by uh listeners who actually have gone and hit the donate button and yes, lovely. Uh, and most of them have hit a monthly amount so Thank you to those that are doing that. It is so encouraging. You are paying for my fish fingers. (laughs) You're paying for Nick's fish fingers. Mm. That's really kind. I don't know what we're up to. It's not life-changing, but what it does mean is we can get equipment. So thank you so much Mm. to those that have done that. And if you haven't done that yet and you want to donate, what we're saying is, you know, the price of a cup of coffee per podcast, we would love that. It means so much to us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, and if if you've missed out on the joy of doing that... Go to midfaithcrisis.org 
and uh, yeah. there you will find a donate button. You know what to do. Okay, speaking of emails, following the Second Coming podcast, a great one from Peter. He says this. Thanks for the episode in the second coming. I wonder how many of your listeners have actually experienced the rapture. I experienced it in 1980. While my story is bizarre and somewhat incredible, I suspect other listeners whose youth was spent with the likes of late great planet Earth, I wish we'd all been ready, songbook film, yes, and numerous other end time scare stories may have had their own similar experiences. It was the height of the Cold War, Russia invading Afghanistan, US hostages in Iran, etc., as part of a gap year with a missionary society before university, I found myself in the mountainous far north of Pakistan, not far from the border with China and Russia. One evening in a very remote area, just after sunset, while sitting outside our guest house with some local hosts from the village, my travelling companion and I looked up and saw the strangest thing, a semicircle of bright light expanding to fill the otherwise darkening northern sky. Looking at each other, we knew exactly what this meant. Nuclear war. Diving into our guest house bedroom, Jamie said, quick, let's pray. Open the Bible. The Bible fell open at Romans 8.1. There is therefore no condemnation for them in Christ Jesus. Easy for me to say. Uh, that was it. A verse like that appearing at a time like this definitely meant our end had come. Hearts pounding, praying for friends and family, looking at each other anxiously. The minutes passed, waiting for the end to come in a nuclear blaze. Yet after all that, nothing happened. We sheepishly returned outside to our hosts and the meal, bewildered and confused. Everything seemed completely normal and our hosts were unconcerned. The following day we returned the 20 miles to the regional centre where our western missionary hosts were staying. Arriving at the gate to their compound, we knocked on the door, knocked again and no answer. But there was always someone in, still no answer. Looking at each other we now realised the meaning of last night's events. It had been the rapture, and the missionaries had been taken, and of course, we'd been left behind. <laughs> the, he says the postscript to the story is that the missionaries eventually returned from wherever they'd been. The strange phenomenon in the sky was reported in the media as being the testing of a Russian defensive laser system, and nearly 40 years later, I'm still waiting. Marvellous. <laughs> anyway, Peter, thanks for that incredible story. Uh, yeah. That is brilliant. Um, and we're recording this slightly early, um, uh, because yeah. I'm going to Ireland. You are? In fact, I'm going to an island off the coast of Ireland. And what are you doing on an island off the coast of Ireland? Well, here's the thing. I'm going on a writing course, but it's not like a normal writing thing. It's like um, uh, it's it's eight writers, eight artists. That's the theory. Mm. And um, you, you, you sort of basically commune with nature, right? Nice. I love you it make, already. You make... Your inks and your pens. Oh, and your now I get why you stuff. love this. And no, no, no. You don't make them out of nice stuff. You make them out of twigs okay. and things, and you know, bird dropping or I don't know what. Oh, and gosh. it's 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 all about getting the wild back into your writing. Do you wear clothes? Well, I might have to here. I don't know. <laughs> Normally, I don't. Obviously, but the thing is, it's it's so out of my comfort zone. Really. It really is. Oh yeah, you know I don't. You know me. I like a yeah. comfy chair and a pub. And you're very unsociable. Yeah. Yeah. And and I got to spend time cooped up with these people, <laughs> in going out romping in the wild. <laughs> but the reason I did it, the reason I've gone on it, is because I looked at a lot. Of, I I I got to a point in my work where I was thinking I am just stuck. 
I, I, I've just been doing the same things. I've just reached, I've sort of mm. plateaued kind of thing, you know, Ooh. and I want to do something different, something disruptive. Yeah, um, that's good. And I looked and I thought maybe some, some a course, you know, maybe we'd do that. But I looked at a lot of courses and frankly, I've been a writer for a long time. They weren't really going to teach me anything I didn't know or hadn't already taught others. Yeah. Whereas sure. this one seemed genuinely kind of, you know, mm. throwing a rock into the pond kind of thing. So... And what do you hope to get from it? Um, I don't know. I think it's going to go one of either two ways. I think either it is going to be transformative. Yeah. And I will find a new voice and a new way of writing and a, a way forward. Or I'm going to get lots of funny anecdotes. Yeah. And it's going to be as many double entendres in your books as always. So <laughs> I don't know really how that's going to work. You know, or it's just going to be a bit strange for a week, you know. Um <laughs> Anyway, I think we'll we'll report back on it on the next podcast. So we'll but we'll, we'll sort of talk about it and see how. Sure, it works. great. great. But it got me thinking. The reason it, it, I was doing this, and I, I have had conversations with you off, yeah. off, off air about things, is um, it got me thinking about work. Yeah. And I thought well, that's what we might talk about this this episode. Yeah. Um, that's a great idea. You know, because it's it, it, I did part of it, and part I suppose part of why we set up the donation page was because we want to do this better yes. as a piece of work. But part of me doing this thing is just sort of because my I feel my work has got into a bit of a yeah. stale place. You know, I'm just I'm just there. I'm not really doing anything different. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think I think it'd be interesting. What we're going to do this podcast, we're going to talk about work and its place in 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 mid faith crisis. Um, yeah, and life generally. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, for me, it's been we've had conversations about work-life balance and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I never know quite what we mean by work-life balance in a way because I was talking to somebody the other day and they said it's kind of a bad f- place to start really because yeah. it implies that you know life is the joyous part and work exactly, is the other bit. Exactly right. Yeah. You know, I agree. I don't like the phrase for that. It's same, same reason, and it perpetuates that kind of divide doesn't it i mean we talked yeah. about the sacred secular divide uh before now i think you know church v work and mm. um and i think that's such an artificial divide you know work and family is you know where we do life and therefore it's where we do discipleship for followers of jesus and it's you know where the action is it's not a distraction from the action it is the action yeah, yeah. Our work lives, and it—it's it, often not addressed, is it, by church? I mean, I don't don't want to, you know, criticize the church, but I, I think often it's slightly underplayed. It's very easy for the church, having been on the other side of the fence, it's very easy for us as church leaders to get caught up in our own agendas and think the church is all that matters. Yeah, forgetting that actually yes. we're the campfire, and it's the it's the guys in the army who are out on the battlefield. Right. Yeah. Not not. Yeah. It shouldn't be the other way round. We. You know what I was thinking about this going into it? It was the London Marathon last Sunday. Yeah. and Because uh, we're recording early. so it really You've wasn't. run that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You've Four run times that. I have. Yeah. No, really? Yeah. Four times? Yeah. You're joking me. Of I have. Yeah. 3.44 was my best time. Not that I want to boast, but that's quite I've good never, for an I didn't old, know you'd done that much. Bloke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I've done the same distance, but mainly on a bus. So that's <laughs> yeah, no, true. It's slight, that's very impressive. That is slightly different. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I don't want to go on about that. But you know, the training, uh, the training that you do to run a marathon 
is is extraordinary and basically first of all you need to get to the stage where you can run 30 minutes without stopping that's the that's your first big goal and from that from that point you can you can get to running a marathon in 16 weeks that's the thing wow but but the, here's a little story, a little analogy for you that I heard someone say once, and it's, it's always stuck with me. Imagine, imagine you you wake up with the vision in your midlife crisis, and you think, Do you know what, I'm going to run a marathon. So you you take yourself down to the you know marathon running centre, and they say, welcome, welcome, come in, come in, we want to. We want to tell you all about running a marathon. It's the greatest thing. It's the greatest achievement. Blah, 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 blah. Now, just invite you to come back next week. And we're going to have a band. We're going to be singing songs about the marathon. <laughs> and, you you know, you're really encouraged to join in. But they don't actually give you any training. You're just told to come back. So you go back the following week. And sure enough, there's loads of people there. But there's none of them have done any training. <laughs> You get this really inspirational talk and there's a band and you sing songs about running a marathon where they say, come back next week. So you go on like that and you realise that you are not fit to run a marathon. Eventually it <laughs> dawns on you that you're not fit to run a marathon. And I sometimes attempted to think that, you know, and this is a, a reflection on my own life, that that's how I viewed following Jesus you know it's sort of you know I knew that my my real life was at work and at yeah. home and you know everything I went to church every Sunday and it was great but it was so separate because yeah I, I, I I'm not saying it's the church's fault maybe it was my own silly fault that I just never made the links so well, what do I do now what's what's different you know what's different about me this Monday morning to Last Monday morning, how's the yeah. training going with following Jesus? Am I kinder to people? Am I more forgiving? Am I more patient? Or am I exactly the same, only possibly a bit grumpier <laughs> or angrier with yeah. people? And and, and I, I suppose that's where, you know, the rubber really hits the road. Because what I now see post mid-faith crisis, I suppose, is that actually you know, the role of Jesus in my life is my coach. And he wasn't called that. He was called saviour. Sometimes he was called teacher, but not often enough, certainly at church. But he's there to, to coach you for the real action of life. So that's why I think we need to talk about work a bit, because it's so very important. And oftentimes, you know, we can get caught up talking about, as we did last week, a doctrine. You know, we talked about the second coming and that's that's interesting or maybe it's not that interesting for people. But but actually, I don't really see a talk about um, the second coming really changing your life. You know, you may oh, change. Come on, it was you, fantastic. No, well, you are, you are awesome. People, don't get me wrong. People but... were <laughs> breaking down in repentance and... <laughs> Well, obviously, there is that. I hadn't thought that through. You're right. Yeah, but... They were certainly repenting of listening to it. <laughs> yes, as, as is so often the case <laughs> when one of us speaks. No, but it really is important. And, you know, we, I th we talked about the um, that hierarchy, didn't we, before of jobs that is yes, it's never yes. really talked about, but it's no. implicit in the church, isn't it? Yeah, vicar at the top, oh, really. Yeah. And and then uh, sort of deputy vicar, 
yes. or assistant pastor yeah. or curate yeah. or something. Mm. Um, missionary. Missionaries get in there. Missionaries, they sort of get in there, don't they, because they're, they're doing demanding stuff. But yeah. obviously they, they, don't get, they don't get quite the same status because they are, in fact, missionaries. Yes. So, they, you know, they've got to go, <laughs> yeah. got to go to... They've got to go to foreign. Didn't make it as vicars. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. So, and then sort of it goes down. Then the rest of us, yeah. uh, you know, at the bottom. Authors and celebrants right at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite rightly. But this goes back a, a long, long way, actually. Way back to sort of the formative years of the church, when they were trying to grapple with Jesus' command, be perfect. The idea that you could, in fact, be perfect. And they were grappling with, how, how do we do this? And the way they came up with was that the, that command only really applied to a certain group of people. Mm. It, 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 to the clergy, in fact, to those who yeah, could right. spend the time doing that. Oh, and so okay. there, was a, there, was a, <laughs> there was a gap straight away between the, per, between the perfect and the imperfect, between clergy oh, okay. and laity. Um, so that you, you, know, you couldn't expect the same things of them. Now, in some ways, you know, it was harder on the clergy because it, it was more... De- there were more demands on them, but uh, as is the way with human nature, that mm. that was sort of got round in one way or another. But you know, um, it, it really does go back a long way. It's not a new thing mm. to view that somehow, if you're a labourer, you're not on the same um, scale of importance to God as if you're a, 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 a monk or a priest. Certainly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I mentioned before that time there was this prayer sheet in a church I was working for, and the back of the prayer sheet was prayers for the ministers which always struck me as odd when we had like a very senior police officer in the church and we had right. people working for the NHS and teachers and we had mums looking after kids and we had all these people who could really do with prayer. Yeah, <laughs> We yeah. were praying for the ministers and what were they doing? Well, this week we're leading a prayer meeting. Could you pray for that, please? Yes. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> what is prayable about yeah. is, is quite interesting, isn't it? Because people will ask for prayer for... You know, I'm going to talk to this meeting or yeah. that meeting, or I'm going yeah. to do the, I'm going to do something holy, so I'll ask yeah. for prayer on that. Yeah. But I'm not. I won't ask for prayer if I'm, I don't know, fixing somebody's boiler or, yeah. heaven, saving somebody's life in the surgery yeah. or you know doing all that yeah. kind of stuff. That's not seen as a reasonable thing for prayer. I know. When I used to be a church leader, I mean, I was being prayed for all the time. I mean, people were saying how much they're praying for me, and then you know, in in public services. I was getting prayed for for things and now like all I do is like you know funerals and you know maybe I'll do a couple of funerals for suicide victims in one week and maybe I'll do a couple of other funerals and so but you know as far as I know (laughs) you know no one's praying for me anymore because that job's not particularly important is it (laughs) so so that's no that's the disparity I feel but that's the thing isn't it so there's this huge amount of people's lives that is uns- goes unseen and it goes undervalued by ourselves as well. Absolutely. And yet it is so yeah. important for us. You know, I, I kind of fell into a trap a while back when I wrote the book on uh, midlife crisis, Dark Night of the Shed. Yeah. And I talk in there about how we can make a god of our work. Yeah. And, um, and that is true. You know, you, the, you, yeah. it's very easy to make a god out of yeah. anything. You just put sure. it on a pedestal and expect miracles out of it. And yeah. we do that. We're, we we, sure. we yeah. kind of think that our, our job... Finding the right job is going to solve all our problems. Going to going to do that. Yeah. And so we make sacrifices to this God. We sacrifice time, and we yeah. sacrifice you know other things that we would rather be doing. We sacrifice, um, you know, various parts of our, our 
bodies, no, personal lives. Um, you know, they're, they're all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And, and, and work, at the end of the day, your work does not love you. <laughs> it, you know, and it, you are replaceable and it will not bring you the, yeah. the, the joy that necessarily that you think of in that sense. But, but equally, somebody said to me on one of the retreats I was running on this, he said, yeah, but work is important. It, is, it does really matter to us. Yeah. You know, and he was right. He, yeah. It's where you spend I, most I, of your time. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we get that thing right about it? How do we, how do we view it correctly? Um, how should we sort of uh, look at work? Um, yeah. I mean, I've had to think about this a lot because I've, I, I, you know, have re-entered the workplace yeah. in a way. I yeah. mean, you've you've gone to a very different place with what you do, but yeah. I've I part of my week is spent in an office with a lot of people. Yeah, that must be so hard for them. Well, f- funnily enough, it's the other way around. It's <laughs> it's really hard for me because when we were working together back in the uh, early nineties, when I was last in an office, yes. um, I noticed that the, the one thing that really irked me about uh, working with Oasis and all those people there were they're all idiots. <laughs> Everybody was. I was the only one who had things right. Got a point. And then I, and then yeah. you know, um, <laughs> twenty years later or so, I go twenty. I go back into an office, and they're all idiots. And Nothing's they're still changed. wrong. <laughs> Nothing's changed. I can't figure that one out, Nick. I can't I just... work that one out. How does that happen? <laughs> so let's talk about your spiritual formation at work. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? So joking aside, yeah. uh, obviously they're not all idiots. Most of them are, but yeah, uh, no, they're not. But you know, joking aside, that is what I had. To, what I've had to learn is that sure. work is. The, I think it was Willard who called it the furnace of spiritual formation, or yeah. something like that. It was, yeah. It's a, it, it, yeah. it is the place where one of the key places, rather, where you will be formed. Yeah. Uh, as you were saying, yeah. where you learn to run the marathon, because that's what you're doing there. You're running yeah. it. You're not yeah. talking about it. You're actually doing it. Um, and so to be in that place, I think it's presented me with a lot of realities about my own behaviour, yeah. realities about my own um, uh, defensiveness, my own my own anxiety about status, my own insecurities. Yeah, yeah. They all come... Absolutely. You know, yeah, and that's why it's so that. good to do the work on yourself, you know, and by that I mean, you know, whether it's the Enneagram or, you know, I know we've gone on about that a lot, but whatever it is, you know, discover yourself, discover the stories you tell yourself. Don't don't wait till you're bristling up against other people at work. Mm. Find out where, you know, you've got some you've got some stuff you need to deal with and work through, whether that's prayerfully or in counselling or therapy or with a friend or however you you do it. There's all of us have have issues and the time they come out it's not when we're on our own just you know pottering around by ourselves it's it's as soon as we start working with another person basically yeah yeah yeah. i mean actually that's interesting you um saying about that because i think um i think work is one of those places where those stories arise you know this for me because going back to working with a lot of people wondering where do I fit in? How do you know? How does this fit me? You know, you can end up telling yourself some stories about yourself in the work context yeah. that aren't necessarily true or aren't necessarily real or yeah. anything like that. But they, it, it, because it's such a big part of your life. So I've worked, for example, a lot with blokes who've um, been made redundant, right? 
you know, yeah. and or who felt sidelined at work, mm. who ha- you know, because it's pretty hard when you get to a certain age. Yeah, I think it does Tell happen. You it. suddenly turn around one day, and mm. either the, you've got to the, you, you know, you've got to the point in your work where you thought it was going to deliver everything. Mm. So you've you've climbed the top of the to the top of the corporate ladder and, and discovered it's leaning against the wrong wall. Yeah, that's the that's the yeah corporate. that's. The... Or you find that you are in a dead end and you turn around one day and you realise that your new head of department is a 14-year-old with a degree in Lego, you know. And <laughs> yeah, that, that is particularly upsetting. <laughs> and they're the up and coming and you yeah. feel, what yeah. what value do I have? And you start to tell yourself stories about oh, uh, yeah. your future, about your yeah. your you know your value that you hold, about whether you're... You're now dispensable. Whether whether it's all you know, it 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 also can feed into those mm. stories in so many d- different ways. Yeah. Um. And you just have to you just have to kind of I think hold fast to the value that you have in God first and foremost, and see yeah. well, how do I reflect that in in the workplace? What is the significance of my life yeah. in that in that place? Absolutely. And I think you're right. To say you know that balanced approach. You know, work isn't the most important thing. It doesn't define you. Um, but it is important, and yeah. it's that thing. And also, the other obvious, blindingly obvious statement is work is hard. I mean, even people who love their jobs wake up some mornings and just go, "Oh, I got to work." Yeah. I know it's this yeah. lovely idea that we wake up every day and go, "Wow, I get paid to do this. What a privilege! I'm so happy." You know, but I don't actually know anyone who does that every day. I know people who do it some days. Yeah. Uh, but and and you know, I do that some days. Uh, and then the rest of the days, I think, oh, no, I've got to get out of bed. And <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why me, Lord? <laughs> so I think I think one of the things we can just try to redress is the balance to people and say, whatever you're doing, you know, whether you're saving lives as a doctor, that's really important. Or whether you're clearing up litter from the street, that's really important. Whether you're a mum with kids, I can't think of anything more important. You know what? You know, whatever work you're in, you know, there's this guy in Mexico called Victor, and you know, my brother lives out there. You all know the story about that. I'm going out there, and he he works the gate to get into one of the beaches. It's one of the lowest paid jobs I understand that are out there, but he is an absolute joy. He just has a smile on his face and he talks to people and he welcomes people. You mm. know, you don't have to do that just because you're paid. But he does it. He radiates this kind of positive energy. And do you know what it does? It makes you feel better. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how it works. I'm sure someone can give me a psychological or emotional explanation. But it's just like this guy radiates an energy and he welcomes you so warmly. You catch some of it and it yeah. makes you feel better. And we, you know, we always buy him a cake at the end of the stay and everything. But it's like that's the that's about the most boring job you could ever do. He just literally lifts up a rope and puts it down again. <laughs> lifts up a rope and puts <laughs> it down, lets taxes in. And lets it... But he does it. With a joy that, you know, it's hard to describe. It's incredible. And and I think that the, one of the things that really helped transform my attitude to work was the spiritual, that there's several, but one of them is definitely the idea of secrecy. And I think we may have mentioned this before, you know, the inner James Bond. It's like, you are an agent of god if you want to put it in these these terms i i find it quite helpful you may say it's childish but you're an agent of god you you are you are here to do some serious secret service 
And and so you can do things that nobody else can. You can you can smile at people. You can do an act of kindness. You can do a work of good with no one noticing. You can you can you can you can become this kind of force for good in the world. Now another way might be of saying that might be an ambassador for Christ. Uh, you know I I don't really care what language you want to use but wherever you are whatever you're doing from the moment you wake up to the moment you go back to sleep again at night there is an option to frame this as an opportunity to live in the kingdom of god mm. to use religious language mm. and by that i mean there is an opportunity to live really well to live the good life and so we might want to look at jesus or those we respect as wise teachers to find out what that good life might look like but it, you know in summary it looks like loving people and yourself being kind to people and kind to yourself yeah so you know knowing the right moment to go and buy everyone a round of bacon sandwiches um is a key skill you may want to deliver <laughs> to you know nurture in your armory knowing the right moment to go and have a kind encouraging word to someone knowing when you see someone who's beating themselves up because they've just made a stupid mistake at work knowing that this is your opportunity to go and encourage them there's there's so many ways and this is what i think faith is actually all about you know my faith used to be a very um uh, thought-based faith doctrine-based faith knowing the right stuff about jesus didn't transform mm. me at all moving mm. to a practice-based faith has brought the degree of transformation i hope for not fully but it's getting there mm. so understanding that actually i've got a practice i've got a train to become like jesus and it and that training happens in the small moments of everyday life you know choosing to speak kindly to my wife in the mornings when i feel grumpy would be stage one of my day living in the kingdom you know choosing not to be so naturally lazy and pick up a few things and clean up a few things and do things that's maybe stage two <laughs> and then just viewing things as a gift and a privilege and it it all sounds easy now but actually in real life it's tough i need it's very tough i, need I was energy. just thinking i need help yeah it's extremely tough especially if you are if you are in a you know, so-called toxic workplace. If you're in a place where it's yeah. enormous pressure, enormous stress, or how do you live differently? Yeah, you're you're working with people who are a bit uh, overbearing or even bullying. How you know? I yeah, I, I do think it's a massively tough uh, thing. But I do think that is equally that is the sort of reality of the rest of our lives. You know, we're not asked to be Christ-like just in certain bits. Mm. I'm not asked to just, yeah. this is why I struggle the whole time, because I'm not asked just to be Christ-like at church. I can do that. Yeah. I'm quite, you know, I might even be quite good at it there. Yeah. I'm actually asked to be Christ-like in all areas of um, yeah. my life. You know, that's my, my work, my relationships, my my home life, my, my friends, this podcast. Everything that you do is about that and some bits are really going to be tough and some bits are going to be easier than others so i you know i wouldn't want us to you know and, and you weren't doing this but i wouldn't want us to sort of suggest that no. this is always sort of smooth going oh, no it no no isn't. absolutely and i don't want to be twee about it hey you know jesus wants you for a sunbeam and go shopping yeah, work yeah, and yeah. all that all that stuff no 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 and thank you for bringing up the what if you're in a bullying pressured environment where people are being nasty to you 
there more than ever, you need to have a very strong sense of your identity yes. and your worth. Yeah. And, you know, I, I truly believe Christ will give that to you. But man, is that going to be tested? But yeah. you know what it's like when you're in a good place. You can not react and you you do draw on this, you know, inner strength, spirit, whatever you want to call it, that mm. actually enables you to behave in a just way. Express anger constructively express your views constructively and when you're in a bad place you're just in that reactive place of well yeah, yeah, you know yeah. f you yeah. and all the rest of it so what can we um suggest that uh, for some practice you talked about secrecy you know about acts of service uh doing those things i think there's other things i played around with set out prayer you know if you if you're in a place where you can have a little ping on your phone you can download yeah i've tried funnily enough i've been trying that recently and it just didn't work for me yeah it, it, because yeah. I would find myself in a meeting or something and the ping would go off and I would just ignore it, you know. So, but, but, um, so not to deny that it might work really well yeah. for some people, but yeah. I think what I'm trying now is saying, is there a, a routine? Is there part of my routine that would tr- trigger prayer in that way? So, um, when I get in in the morning, sit down at the desk, could I pray then? Cause then I'm not going to be interrupted. Yeah, that is sure. my first moment. Yeah. So if you did it every time you sat down at your desk, yeah. you 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 prayed something that would that yeah. would be a a, sure. a good trigger as well. And and the other thing is as ever, you know, don't don't try and run a marathon straight away. You know, you're yeah. in training. So step number one, I I would say for a lot of people, and this always gets a laugh when we used to do this in spiritual formation groups, is just go 24 hours without saying anything negative about anyone. Yeah. And, you know, that's impossible for some people. Yeah, I've, at I've never done that. No, yeah, obviously. obviously. <laughs> but go 24 hours with a view to never doing it the rest of your life, I would say. <laughs> start, with 20, start with 20 minutes, you know, yeah. however long it is. And, you know, you'll be amazed how that day you'll be tested like never before. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah. some, there's some force at work in that. But the, the truth about, you know, bitching about people and gossip and all that stuff, which is... Can, can be quite prevalent in some workplaces is that it's a reflection on how we treat ourselves and a lot of the time when we're not being kind to other people it's because we're so wretched about ourselves yeah so again yeah. this love for self love for others thing is all in the mix so you know as you try not to say anything negative about anyone else do treat yourself to that one as well no yeah. calling yourself stupid clumsy any of that nonsense yeah. yeah, you don't have to join in, do you? I mean, I've, exactly. I think I've been not at the moment, but in in past times of my life, I've been in places where it's almost like that negativity gets into the air conditioning, you know, and it yeah. just spreads around, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and everybody sure. catches it like a virus, and there's nothing, there's almost nothing you can do, and it takes quite a bit of um, strength, in fact, to sort of stand up against that and to go in a different direction. It really does, um, and you risk being put outside of the group or being seen as a holy Joe or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, and that's very difficult. But there is something about people who are truthful and who act with integrity that is incredibly inspiring and mm. being known as someone who never badmouths anyone, mm. you know, earns you trust in the workplace. So... Mm. I think there's a lot more to be said um, about this. And I'd love to hear what what listeners have got to say about this. Send me an email, joe at midfaithcrisis.org. I'd love to hear from you about, you know, how you integrate faith and your your 
love for God, let's use that term, in, into your work. And in the meantime, you know, remember, you are an agent of goodness in, in whatever place you are, in your home, in your, you know, in the unemployment centre. Not that we have unemployment centres anymore, but wherever you... Yeah, it's all you, gone digital, mate. Yeah, wherever you are, um, you, you can be an agent of goodness. There's a role for you. There's a purpose for you. Great. Well, uh, that's more than enough for this episode. Thanks ever so much for uh, listening. Yeah. Um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. You will, uh, and you'll have been in Ireland. I'll have been in Ireland, on an island, near Ireland, and I will come back uh, probably quite wet, I would have we thought. We cannot wait to hear about it. <laughs> wet and windswept. Anyway, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see you soon. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks, cheers. Cheers.